book four chapter fifteen of the heavenly twins this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the heavenly twins by sarah grand book four chapter fifteen part two again the tenor changed his position i cannot cannot comprehend how you could have risked your reputation in such a way he said shaking his head with grave concern no risk to my reputation she answered with the insolence of rank everybody knows who i am and if i remember rightly that in the captain's but a choleric word which in the soldier is rank blasphemy what would be an unpardonable offence if committed by another woman less highly placed than myself is merely an amusing eccentricity in me so for my benefit conveniently snobbish is society since i grew up however i find that i am not one of those who can say flippantly you can't have everything and if people have talents they are not to be expected to have characters as well great talent should be held to be a guarantee for good character the loss of the one makes the possession of the other dangerous but what i do maintain is that i have done nothing by which i ought in justice to be held to have jeopardized my character i have broken no commandment nor should i under any circumstances it is only the idea of the thing that shocks your prejudices you cannot bear to see me decently dressed as a boy but you would think nothing of it if you saw me half undressed for a ball as i often am yet if the one can be done with a modest mind and you must know that it can so can the other i suppose the tenor was sitting sideways on his chair his elbow resting on the back his head on his hand his legs crossed half turned from her and listening without looking at her and there was something in the way she made this last remark that set a familiar chord vibrating not unpleasantly perhaps after the revelation he had expected her to turn into a totally different person at all events he was somewhat surprised but not disagreeably to perceive how like the boy she was this was the boy again exactly in a bad mood and the tenor saw it at once as was his wont to distract him rather than argue him out of it this was the force of habit and it was also due to the fact that his mind was rapidly adapting itself to a strange position and becoming easier in the new attitude the woman he had been idolizing was lost irretrievably but the charm which had been the boy's remained to him and he had already begun to reconcile himself to the idea of a wrong-headed girl who must be helped and worked for instead of a wrong-headed boy but why should you have chosen this impossible form of amusement in particular he said why could you not interest yourself in the people about you do something for them i did think of that i did try she answered petulantly but it is impossible for a woman to devote herself to people for whom there is nothing to be done who don't want her devotion and besides devotion wasn't my vocation but after all she broke off defending herself i only arrived at this by slow degrees and i never should have come so far at all if diavolo had stuck to me but he got into a state of don't care and can't be bothered and separated his work from mine by going to sandhurst then i found myself alone and you cannot think how a woman must suffer from the awful loneliness of a life like mine when i had no one near me in the sense in which diavolo has always been near a life that is full of acquaintances as a cake is full of currants no two of which ever touch each other the tenor's habitual quiescence seemed to have deserted him he changed his position incessantly and did so now again it was the only sign he made of being disturbed at all and as he moved he brushed his hand back over his hair but did not speak 
i kept my disguise a long time before i used it she began again another morsel of incident and motive recurring to her i don't think i had any very distinct notion of what i should do with it when i got it the pleasure of getting it had been everything for the moment and having succeeded in that and tried the dress i hid it away carefully and scarcely ever thought of it never dreamt of wearing it certainly until one night it was quite an impulse at last that night you know the first time we met it was such a beautiful night i was by myself and had nothing to do as usual and it tempted me sorely i thought i should like to see the market-place by moonlight and then all at once i thought i would see it by moonlight that was my first weighty reason for changing my dress but having once assumed the character i began to love it it came naturally and the freedom from restraint i mean the restraint of our tight uncomfortable clothing was delicious i tell you i was a genuine boy i moved like a boy i felt like a boy i was my own brother in very truth mentally and morally i was exactly what you thought me and there was little fear of your finding me out although i used to like to play with the position and run the risk it was marvellous the tenor said not at all she answered not a bit more marvellous in real life than it would have been upon the stage a mere exercise of the actor's faculty under the most favourable circumstances and not a bit more marvellous than to create a character as an author does in a book the process is analogous but the same thing has been done before georges Saint, for instance don't you remember how often she went about dressed as a man went to the theatres and was introduced to people and was never found out by strangers and there was that woman who was a doctor in the army for so long until she was quite old james barry she called herself and none of her brother officers not even her own particular chum in the regiment she first belonged to had any suspicion of her sex and it was not discovered until after her death when she had been an inspector-general of the army medical department for many years and there had been women in the ranks too and at sea it was really not extraordinary that an unobservant and unsuspicious creature like yourself should have been deceived this recalled the patronizing manner of the boy at times and the tenor smiled the meeting with you was an accident of course angelica proceeded with her disjointed narrative but i thought i would turn it to account i was as you used to say devoured by curiosity and my mind is always tentative i wanted to hear how men talked to each other i didn't believe in goodness in a man and i wanted to see badness from the man's point of view i expected to find you corrupt in some particular to see your hoofs and your horns sooner or later and i tried to make you show them but that of course you never did and i soon realized my mistake i had a standing quarrel with your sex however and at first it pleased me to deceive you simply because you were a man that was only at the very first for as soon as i began to appreciate your worth i felt ashamed of myself don't you see israfel you have been raising me all along it has been a very gradual process though but still i did wish to undeceive you i would have done so at once if you had not been so far above me if you had spoken to me when i gave you that chance in the cathedral after the service don't you remember it would have been stepping down from your pedestal we should have been on the same level then and i need not have dreaded your righteous indignation but as it was you maintained your high position and i was afraid and i could not give you up it was delightful to look at myself an ideal self from afar off with your eyes it made me feel as if i could be all you thought me it made me wish to be so and it also made me more sorry than anything to have you think so highly of me when i did not deserve it all these were signs of awakening which i recognized myself and i did try over and over again to undeceive you about my character but you never would listen to me i wish i wish you had do you love me then the tenor asked her and was startled himself as soon as he had spoken by the immediate effect of the question upon her it was evident that she had received a terrible shock she changed colour and countenance and swayed for a moment as if she were about to faint 
and he sprang up to catch her in his arms but she recovered herself sufficiently to check the impulse no no she exclaimed hoarsely stop stop you don't know my god how could i have put myself in such a position i mean let me tell you she shut her eyes and waited the tenor looking at her in pained surprise he sank again on to the seat from which she had risen and waited also wondering presently she opened her eyes and looked at him the charm the charm she faltered has all been in the delight of associating with a man intimately who did not know i was a woman i have enjoyed the benefit of free intercourse with your masculine mind undiluted by your masculine prejudices and proclivities with regard to my sex had you known that i was a woman even you the pleasure of your companionship would have been spoilt for me so unwholesomely is the imagination of a man affected by ideas of sex the fault is in your training you are all of you educated deliberately to think of women chiefly as the opposite sex your manner to me has been quite different from that of any other man i ever knew some have fawned on me degrading me with the supposition that i exist for the benefit of man alone and that it will gratify me above all else to know that i please him and some few such as yourself have embarrassed me by putting me on a pedestal which is i can assure you an exceedingly cramped and uncomfortable position there is no room to move on a pedestal now with you alone of all men not excepting diavolo i almost think i have been on an equal footing and it has been to me like the free use of his limbs to a prisoner after long confinement with chains the expression which the tenor's abrupt question had called into her countenance passed off as she spoke and with it the impression it had made upon the tenor he mistook the remark she had just been making for a natural girlish evasion of the subject and he did not return to it partly because he felt it to be in inopportune time but also because he was pretty sure of her feeling for him and thought that he would have ample leisure by and by the leisure of a lifetime to press the question there were other explanations to be asked for too which it seemed advisable to him to get over at once and have done with but how have you managed to get out night after night he asked without being missed not night after night she answered if you remember there were often long intervals but i have told you i was constantly alone the house is large none of the servants sleep near my room and my husband your what the tenor demanded turning round on his chair to face her every vestige of colour gone from his countenance yet not convinced what did you say he repeated aghast my husband she faltered mr kilroy of ilverthorpe hitherto he had uttered no reproach but she knew that this reticence was due to self-respect rather than to any lingering remnant of deference and now when she saw his face ablaze she was prepared for an outburst of wrath all he said however was speaking with quiet dignity you need not have allowed that part of the deception to go on you should have told me that at once why did you not for the first time angelica lost her presence of mind i-i forgot she stammered the tenor threw back his sunny head and laughed bitterly it is a curious fact angelica remarked upon reflection and as if speaking to herself but i really had forgotten the tenor looked at the fire and in the little pause that ensued angelica suddenly lost her temper if you are deceived in me you have deceived yourself she burst out for i have tried my utmost to undeceive you you go and fall in love with a girl you have never spoken to in your life you endow her gratuitously with all the virtues you admire without asking if she cares to possess them and when you find she is not the peerless perfection you require her to be you blame her oh isn't that like a man you all say the same thing it wasn't me what will your husband say the tenor ejaculated in an undertone well you see the bargain was 
when i asked him to marry me when you what said the tenor asked him to marry me angelica calmly repeated the bargain was that he should let me do as i liked there being a tacit understanding between us of course that i should do nothing morally wrong i could not under any circumstances do anything morally wrong not i confess because i am particularly high-minded but because i cannot imagine where the charm and pleasure of the morally wrong comes in the best pleasures in life are in art not in animalism and all the benefit of your acquaintance i repeat has consisted in the fact that you were unaware of my sex i knew that directly you became aware of it another element would be introduced into our friendship which would entirely spoil it so far as i am concerned it is a noteworthy fact as showing how hopelessly involved man's moral perceptions are with his prejudices and faith in custom even when reprehensible that the tenor was if anything more shocked by angelica's outspoken objection to grossness than he would have been by a declaration of passion on her part the latter lapse is not unprecedented and therefore might have been excused as natural but the unusual nature of the declaration she had made put it into the category to which all things out of order are relegated to be taken exception to irrespective of their ethical value but he said nothing only he turned from her once more and gazed sorrowfully into the fire angelica looked at him with a dissatisfied frown on her face i wish you would speak she said to him under her breath and then she began again herself with her accustomed volubility oh yes i married that was what was expected of me now my brother when he grew up was asked with the most earnest solicitude what he would like to be or to do everything was made easy for him to enter upon any career he might choose but nobody thought of giving me a chance it was taken for granted that i should be content to marry and only to marry and when i expressed my objection to being so limited nobody believed i was in earnest so here i am and i won't deny she confessed with her habitual candour that it did occur to me that i might have cared for you as a lover had i not been married but of course the thought did not disturb me it was merely a passing glimpse of a might have been when one has a husband one must be loyal to him even in thought whatever terms we are on the tenor rose abruptly and walked to the farther end of the room and stood there for a little leaning against the window-frame with his back to her looking out at the cathedral he felt sick and faint and found the fire and the smell of the roses overpowering but presently he recovered and then he returned to her his face was set now white and passionless as it had been while he waited to rescue her from the river and when he spoke there was no tone in his voice it was as if he were repeating some dry fact by rote there is no excuse for you then he said and she perceived with surprise that until he knew she was married he had tried to believe that there was you were playing with me cheating me mocking me all the time angelica looked at him in dismay israfil israfil she pleaded springing to her feet and clasping his arm with both hands her better nature thoroughly aroused oh israfil forgive me she almost shook him in her vehemence then flung him from her and pressed her hands to her eyes for an instant mocking you oh no she protested believe me believe me if you can i respected you almost from the first i reverenced you at last i used to tease you about myself to begin with i repeat because it did not occur to me that you could care seriously for a girl to whom you had never spoken then i began to perceive my mistake then i felt anxious to get you to go away and return and be properly introduced to us and so you schemed i arranged a future for you that is worthy of you oh this raphael i have some conscience i am not so bad as you think me even if i had not dared to tell you to-night 
i should have sent you a full explanation as soon as you had gone i thought when once you were engaged upon a new career you would forget all this i am surprised to hear that you did not expect me to enjoy the joke at my own expense the trick you have played me angelica changed countenance it was exactly what she had expected don't speak bitterly to me she exclaimed it is not natural for you to do so oh i should know i know only too well all your good qualities my heart has been wrung a hundred times by the thought of all i have lost by my folly she raised her hands with a despairing gesture don't imagine that you suffer alone or more than i do there is hope for you there is none for me but one thing has been a comfort i knew you only cared for an ideal creature not at all like me i was not afraid you would break your heart for a phantom that had never existed and for me as i am i knew you could have no regard i see she broke off i see all the contradictions that are involved in what i have said and am saying and yet i mean it all in separate sections of my consciousness each separate clause exists at this moment however contradictory and there is no reconciling them but there they are i can't understand it myself and i don't want you to try all i ask you is to believe me to forgive me there was an interval of silence after this and then the tenor spoke again it is nearly morning he said i will see you safely home the boy had been allowed to come and go as he liked but with her it was different and the altered position made itself again apparent in this new-found need for an escort it was evident too from the way the tenor had allowed the subject to drop tacitly agreeing to the assertion for me as i am i knew you could have no regard that he considered there was nothing more to be said but angelica retained her childish habit of talking everything out and this did not satisfy her it was such a lame conclusion she got up now however to accompany him my hair she exclaimed recollecting what am i to do with my hair i suppose my wig is lost then she burst out passionately oh why did you save my life and wrung her hands or why aren't you different now you know can't you say something to restore my self-respect won't you forgive me the tenor's face contracted as with a spasm of pain he had much to forgive and he may be pardoned if he showed no eagerness but he spoke at last i do forgive you he said then all at once his great tender heart swelled with pity poor misguided girl he faltered with a broken voice may god in heaven forgive you and help you and keep you safe and make you good and true and pure now and always she sank down at that and clasped his feet and burst into a paroxysm of tears which were as a fervent amen to the tenor's prayer come he said raising her come before it is too late you must do something with your hair but she could not plait it her hands trembled so and he was obliged to help her he got her a hat to roll it up under the light is uncertain he said and it is raining now even if we do meet any one i don't think they would notice especially if i can find an umbrella for you he hunted one up from somewhere and then he hurried her away ferried her across the river and left her at the lodge gate safely his last words being you will do some good in the world you will be a good woman yet i know i know you will end of book four chapter fifteen part two end of book four